is here. When criminals in this world appear and break the laws that they should fear and frighten all who see or hear, the cry goes up both far and near for underdog. 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 Speed of lightning, roar of thunder. world the headlines read of those whose hearts are filled with greed who rob and steal from those who need to right this wrong with binding speed goes underdog 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 speed of lightning more of thunder confrontation was not created by the police. The confrontation was pre created by the people who charged the police. Gentlemen, get the thing straight once and for all. The policeman isn't there to create disorder. The policeman is there to preserve disorder. When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. Where I stop and I turn and I go for a ride. Till I get to the bottom and I see you again. Yeah. Our buddy Zach Zajac was rocking it last night. Where were you guys at? Hey, how about on microphone, pal? Oh, we were at the Red Light Tap. Hey, new to radio, huh? Uh, yeah. How do you like it so I'm far? I'm new to this, yeah. <laughs> Helter Skelter, everybody. This is Helter Skelter with W.C. Turk. Uh, Helter Skelter because the world is screwed up and beer isn't enough anymore. Um, so uh, we, we went another direction here. Um, we are about making some noise on this radio station. We're going to make some noise today here. Uh, we've got a lot coming at you. Thomas? Yes. How's it going, pal? It's going good. It's All going right, let's good. get some, let's happy, get some energy going Saturday. here. Saturday, it's the... I, I thought 2015, all the problems of 2015 would stay in 2015. No, 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 no. no. Why the hell would you think that? Oh, no, I, I was hopeful. I'm still young at heart. I still believe, but 
after watching the Republican debate and the presidential address and yeah. just living in Chicago this we, week. We, by the way. It's just bleak. It's we, just bleak out there. We, it's by just, the way, are going to cover that in the uh, in the next hour. And I've got right. a lot of news. I've got a lot of news from uh, stuff that, that, that people have missed about uh, about gay marriage and the election and things that, uh, um, uh, that uh, what's his name, Ben Carson um the, by the ben way, the most Carson, ben, ben, yeah. ben, 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 ben I, I didn't read much about Ben Carson this week. It was mostly Ted Cruz he, and um, um, uh, he called Trump. all all gay people and transgenders ab- abnormal, and and uh, that that you want to be treated like a human being means you want special rights, just just like he treated the Siamese twins that he separated. What what qualifies yeah. as normal in this day and age? I mean, isn't normal boring? I don't want to be boring. Well, Ben With Carson, the passing of David Bowie, we all need to be a little bit different. I hear you, uh, Ben Carson, the most successful. And I don't know why I'm playing that again. I don't need it. Um, <laughs> ben Carson, the most successful neurosurgeon in history. He was able to remove his own brain. Um, <laughs> so, so very cool. You know, I, I, I've got we've we've got a lot. We've also got the folks in here from Muse of Fire, an award-winning play that's Woo! playing in Chicago, and we will tell you all about that. I also want to let people know right now. Um, take your phone and listen to Q4 Radio AM 1680. Uh, but get downtown uh, for there's a, a BYP. Uh, 100 um, sent me this uh, this note here just a little bit ago, bit ago uh, and I'm stumbling over my own lips here. Um, they're leading a march to reclaim ML King uh, Day and uh, and build Black Futures. I don't know if you guys uh, heard about the uh, the break in at uh, Rahm Emanuel's MLK uh, Junior um, uh, Breakfast in which the activists went in there and made a lot of noise. Yeah. Um, some people were calling that disrespectful. I think I think that's probably the most respectful thing you can do to remember <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr., especially when black uh, black youth are being assassinated uh, across uh, much of the city and, and the country, for that matter. Thomas, you're, you're jumping in here. I, I actually had not heard that story, but it is interesting that yep. uh, the black community was not invited to a MLK brunch and that they had to actually crash it in protest yeah. while we're in a city where the cops have a torture chamber and are actively shooting black people. That's yeah. it, which brings me, by the way, I, I put this out on Facebook the other day and I, I sort of wanted to throw out, I'm not going to do all of them, uh, but if you needed 37 reasons why Rahm Emanuel needs to go and I stopped at 37, I could have gone on, but um, you can see here. Uh, I ran. I ran out of paper. How about um, how about violating civil rights during the Occupy movement? Yes. All right. I mean, by by saying that the Occupy movement had had no right to occupy when that's what they were called. Um, but I, Freedom I believe of it, assembly. I believe yes. it says that in the Constitution. Thank <laughs> you. How about how about the uh, the uh, the atrocity that happened uh, during the uh, the uh, the NATO march? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I was there for that. So I was a witness to, uh, to what was going on. I actually, actually, which, which atrocity was this? I might that's, admit. that's when, uh, that's when the, um, uh, the veterans were throwing their medals back, uh, over the fence. Um, and, uh, and, and we were protesting against, uh, basically NATO meeting behind closed doors to exchange billions of dollars in countries in which they're talking about austerity, uh, in countries uh, for, for, for war. 
when ah. yeah so and, and and this was going on behind closed doors and Rahm Emanuel basically turned Chicago into a uh, uh, into a, uh, a terrorized war zone a red zone if you remember that I was working was working downtown in the Sears Tower at the time and and I, I had people in my office who were freaking out and taking vacation time because they had heard that uh, that terrorists and um, and thugs and all kinds of crazy people were coming to destroy Chicago. There were there were security guards everywhere. There were helicopters flying around downtown. Um, so, in, in, in my estimation, he should be gone for that. Um, how about closing mental health clinics? And then and then all of those are many of those people who are struggling with mental illness now on the street who have nowhere to go. The police shoot them. Um, like this, like this kid on the, on the West side who obviously, who, who, who had, uh, was suffering from, from some sort of mental illness and, and it, it, it boiled over, um, a couple of weeks ago and, and he was shot dead along with the downstairs neighbor. Um, how about unleashing the police on a society in, as, as though they're an occupying force? <laughs> Um, how about Laquan McDonald or Reiki Boyd? How about the, the whole TIFF controversy, uh, uh, passing off millions to people like Penny Pritzker and the Hyatt um, and, and Mariano's and companies that have their own marketing department. So if it's not, if it's not in their interest to, to build something someplace, then they won't. But we're giving them money, which is basically allowing them to throw uh, lavish parties for themselves and, and, and just pad their pockets more on the, uh, on the backs of um, – of uh, the taxpayer, not not to mention that it feels an awful lot like like a criminal conspiracy, much like the election and and yes. covering up mm-hmm. covering up the death of a young man, which you know, which you know was murder, but you did it so that you you could win an election. That feels yeah. like a criminal conspiracy to me to to fix an election. But, but I'm but I'm just saying. I, I, I've got how about out of control taxes. When we know, and and on this show and and on the previous show uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, how how this city could save billions right off the bat. First of all, uh, don't kill people because um, (laughs) under Rahm Emanuel, um, this city's given away more than six hundred million dollars in settlements, mostly to people killed or wounded by by police, with no with with no oversight by the police, with no retribution to the police. There, it's, it's not like anybody was fired. It's not like any was anybody was held accountable. Um, so we could. How about how about pay to play? How about the red light and speed cameras across the city, which, by the way, are concentrated predominantly in working class neighborhoods. So where where they where they know people, um, if, if they get booted or ticketed or towed, um, are going to be screwed if they if they don't if they they don't come up with that money. It's just a back end back end tax. Uh, I, I, I talked about the the six hundred million dollars in uh, in payouts. Um, how about uh, how about the home and square, which you brought up, Thomas, um, and and the uh, the little the little torture institute there? Yep. Yes, yes. How about how about school closings and degrading education and hiding hundreds of millions of dollars um, in order to make a, a better case for charter schools, which are essentially your friends? Uh, how about how about uh, Barbara Bird Bennett, or <laughs> as Fred Klonsky would say, Barbara Bird Bennett? Barbara Bird Bennett. Um, Barbara Bird Bennett, millions of dollars uh, to a uh, to a charter school. 
in, in kickbacks. Uh, or, or we can go back to the red light cameras and speed cameras, uh, the, uh, uh, the millions of dollars in kickbacks to, uh, to some low-level employee that they're, they're throwing under the bus. And he, he, now he, even his lawyer is saying, well, hey, uh, how can a little guy make this sort of a decision? Well, I mean, he got millions of dollars, but how could a little guy make that sort of decision? Yeah. What did Rom know and when did he know it? Um, boy, how about, um, about the rise in the murder rate and the disingenuous um, uh, way that Rahm Emanuel has come to that by allowing police to be more, more brutal to people, um, more of an occupation force, and never saying anything about the true causes of, of – uh, uh, of what's going on in the city and the causes of violence, like uh, like militarism by the police uh, that ratchets up tension within within communities. How about the latent racism that's involved in that, which which polarizes a community and and even isolates a, a, a community? Uh, how about straw purchases? He's never once talked about straw purchases. Uh, almost almost seventy three percent of all guns found uh, or or um, or confiscated by the police. Um, that have been used in crimes in the city of Chicago were purchased legally. They weren't burglarized from a home. They weren't stolen from a counter. They were purchased legally. Those are straw purchases. There is no there is no coincidence that most of the gun stores in and around Chicago um, are, are are found just outside the city limits on the south side and on the west side of Chicago. Indiana. Be, and, and, and Indiana because that's where the market is. So Rahm Emanuel has never talked about any of that. How about potholes? How about how about how about now we get a we get a pothole if it's if it's if it's if it's not too deep they just ignore it. If it's too deep they put a cone in it and then leave it. If you hate it then you should have put a cone in it. See, I, I, I used to live in Kansas City, and Kansas City actually had the worst roads in the United States. Oh, I think we got you so beat. So Chicago is is catching up. And and what happens in Chicago? We just two. we We're just drove down Elston on the way uh-huh. here. That is a fun obstacle course. They just like tore it all apart right in December. They're not fixing it right now. We have to dodge things. And what's really fun, I think, especially in, in Chicago, is that when the companies come out finally to repair, uh-huh. they just put a metal plate over the giant hole and then leave it there until someone complains enough. And then maybe they'll do something about it. It's a good place to hide a body, though. It is a good place to hide a body, which (laughs) brings back the whole – something you need to keep in perspective when you talk about the murder rate of Chicago and what kind of murder city is we average, what, 600, 700 murders a year? Yeah. And the United States has about 15,000 a year. So we get 4% in our one city versus – other states, other cities. Four percent is not enough. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, all right. Um, by the way, you guys got a you guys got a show coming up next week. Uh, Evan's yes, sitting by me. we do. Um, what, uh, what what's the name of that show again? Bottoms of the Barrel. Bottoms of the Barrel. We're gonna yeah. explore music, talk about social life, just talk about our life stories. We're trashy. We're tired of the class. If Kim Kardashian is considered a classy woman, I am glad to be a hoe. I am proud of that. Thomas is a classy woman. Let me tell I you. I've heard. Is. I've heard. I'm sitting next to him. I, I, I know that. Uh, and Darren. 
Yes. Um, you guys are you guys are kicking butt on Tuesdays thank with uh, News What News. Thank you, thank yeah, you. you and you and Phil Burns and Katie Klein. Yes, thank you. I, I was speaking with uh, with my good buddy uh, Mike Sanders, uh, who I used to work with over at WCPT, and uh, actually uh, helped me get my start in radio. So so Mike is is more than a friend; he's a mentor. Um, but we were talking uh, we were talking this week, and um, he. Uh, he knew Katie's uh, Katie's name. She's like, oh, oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, how we got, about that? We got some. I'm surprised. We got so, some. So he's a fan of America's Most Wanted too. <laughs> exactly. Well played, sir. Well played. Yeah, Katie. Um, I love Katie. I miss her. I know. So we, we have we have a whole new theme for the uh, we have oh, a whole okay. whole new theme for the show. Um, if uh, if you Helter guys didn't Skelter. notice, this is helter skelter only because um, the the world is just spinning out of control here, uh, and we need to find some order in this crap. Um, and I and I right right away right away I was attracted to the to the theme song uh, helter skelter, um, but I I didn't want to just do a cliche the Beatles sort of whatever um so I, I i was looking at a lot of different a lot of different other versions of the song um but you know what nothing none of them had the energy i mean there are some good ones out there um what do we got here i, I think i told you which one i kind of really you, you seem like a charlie manson fan i think that's the <laughs> one you would go for me, uh, me or darren me. darren okay darren yes yeah. can you tell by the the forehead that i'm a charlie manson fan but I, but I pulled. I mean, I, I listened to literally, literally a hundred different versions of of the song, looking for looking for just the right, right version. I wanted energy. I wanted tempo. I wanted some fire. I wanted some anger. And I just couldn't get it from anything the way the Beatles d- did it. So I, I, I really just I had to go. I like that jazzy one. Oh, uh, Richard Cheese? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll play that. I love that I'll play one. that a little bit later. But I you, love that one. You are listening to Helter Skelter with W.C. Turk. I am W.C. Turk. Um, and uh, I'm going to take a quick break because I wanted to come back, um, and uh, and we're going to meet with the uh, the cast of um, uh, Muse of Fire, a, uh, a really, I think, a very important play. Um, the more I thought about this and the more I was, I was kind of, and, and, and I sort of have a perspective on this, which I think is, is fairly unique, um, that I want to, I want to talk about when we come back, but we want to hear, um, we definitely want to hear from the cast, um, and a good, and a, and a good buddy of mine, Guy Wick, um, who, uh, who we sort of ran into each other accidentally on Slim's show, um, I was I was uh, I was running the door for Slim apparently, um, and and uh, he said, "Hey, uh, let in let in a friend of mine downstairs." And this guy shows up, uh, and um, and guy is uh, is a great local actor um, and voiceover artist. I understand. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, you can jump in there on mic real quick. Okay. Um, Thanks for the kind words. Um, yeah, absolutely, but you and you were also they're really helpful. Lies. What's that? I said they are all lies, but thank you. No, they're not. <laughs> one of the one of the one of the silkiest voices that, that we've had on that microphone, my friend. Oh, sure. um, yeah. And then uh, you were also very helpful with my last play, uh, The People's Republic of Edward Snowden, and God bless you for that. Oh, God bless you! It was a great show. I was really pleased to be able to get it some attention. It was a it was a great it was a great ensemble, and I, I just sort of. I just sort of let the thing go, and I had two. I had two great directors, Celia Bell um, and uh, and Eric um, Eric Parsons, 
who uh, who ran away with it and did a lot of work and a lot of rewriting and then and then a really great cast and and you were there um, to to polish us and make us look wonderful and um, and get the make some help us make some noise in the media about it. So it was it was really a great team effort. Uh, Darren, do you need do you need a paramedic? <laughs> No, he needs he's, a drink. He's choking on the coffee, so 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 to, to clear his. So the first thing he goes yeah, for is the the alcohol. Yeah. Hooch helps me get through the day too, honey. No shame, no shame. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's let's go ahead and take a break. I'm I'm looking for the uh, I'm looking for the Sorry. the Richard uh, the Richard Cheese version here, which I think oh, yeah, I got it. is that was this one. And there we go. Um, we'll be right back after this. We're going to take a quick commercial break and a song break and uh, come back and make some noise with the folks from uh, Muse of Fire. Cool. You're listening to AM 1680 Q4 Radio coming to you live from Genesis Art Supply, 2525 North Elston in Chicago. We'll be right back. Stop, you turn, you go for a ride. When I get to the bottom, then I see you again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you want me to love you? Coming down fast and right here above you. Tell me, tell me, tell me the answer. You may be good looking, but you ain't no dancer. Helter skelter. Helter skelter. Helter skelter. this band are they something helter skelter i said helter skelter helter skelter billy that's right helter skelter Hey, Helter Skelter. I've got blisters on my fingers. Thank you. That's a little band from a few kilometers away. You might have heard of them. The Beatles. Thank you. You have some great music here in England. And uh, we are so honored to be playing these songs for you tonight. What's next, Bobby? Oh, more mimosas. Perfect. All right, welcome back to the show. Look at her butt. It is so I gotta let this go so there's a context to that. I like big butts and I cannot lie. You guys ever heard this? Have you ever heard Richard Cheese? He, he just he does he does he does he does pop takeoffs and stuff and he's sort of like, he's sort of he's sort of like the Wisconsin version of remember do you remember Max uh, Max Rob? The German, maybe I'll play some of some of him in a little bit. You guys are listening to the Helter Skelter Show with W. C. Turk. Hey, um, I, I've got uh, I've got the uh, 
the cast and director uh, from a brand new play, an award-winning play. Actually, it's not a brand new play. It's been around for a while. Mm, it's um, been around for a little while. For a little while. Yeah. Um, but it's but it's an award-winning play. It's played all over the world. No. It hasn't. No. Now, I, I, then, then I then I, I read something wrong because it looked it, it uh, some, something that I read said that it had played it had played in numerous places. This is is, is Chicago then the first. No, it was time? done, a, a brief run was done in New York. Okay. And maybe it was done briefly in California. Other than that, that's I, That's what I thought that I saw, but, yeah. but we, we, we can correct that. Yeah. So. The but, world being the United States. But this States. is the first time in Chicago. I'm not here for any controversy. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, in, in um, my, my, my perspective on this and, and why, why I thought it was it was really powerful, and let's, let's lose Richard here, um, I I got to Sarajevo during the siege, um, just after Susan Sontag had finished uh, doing Waiting for Godot. There, uh, in in my in my memoir about uh, about the siege of Sarajevo, um, everything for love. One of one of the, and, and actually, I, I took this from uh, from a journal post that I that I had had written during um, during the siege, in which. I, I was I was trying to absorb as much as possible. I went there as a witness, as an artist, not as as a journalist. But but being being someplace like that, you have a responsibility to um, to the accuracy. You have a responsibility to remember as much truth as possible. You have you have a responsibility to be um, to be a proper witness. And so. I, I wanted to absorb as much of the minutia, the day-to-day minutia that of, of how people existed and survived and um, prevailed um, as as possible. <clears throat> and because Sarajevo was completely surrounded, and because because you could you could make some you know one of the one of the jokes. Um, one of the jokes going around Sarajevo during during the war was, "What's the difference between Sarajevo and Auschwitz?" Auschwitz had gas, mm-hmm. and you know this really sort of this really kind of cryptic mm-hmm. humor. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the truth of it was, you know, we, we would go for weeks without water. We would go for you know where where you were you were going to the river or you were going to you were relying on on hopefully the the United Nations or these little spigots that were under fire where people would queue up under uh, horrible conditions in in all weather. You, um, the food was was scarce to non-existent, and you know, so so. It was it was very easy for me to make um, make a connection between um, between what was going what happened in Auschwitz and and what was going on in Sarajevo, mm-hmm. um, and then now in that context, there's a world within that. There were people that that existed in 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 concentration camps um, throughout Europe during the Second World War during the Holocaust. Um, and and some people lived in those camps for for years. Um, you have to pass the day, and and what what are the thoughts? What are the actions? What are the interpersonal relationships? Um, what are the what do you do in in a place of such inhumanity to um, 
to find moments um, of, of dignity and humanity, even, even just within yourself, um, what kind of relationships and, and how, how are those relationships defined and managed and, and cared for? Um, there's, there's a whole world there. And um, Elaine, uh, you're, the, you're, the, you're the producer and director of, yes. of uh, Musifier. And so I, I, I suppose I want to start that conversation with you first mm-hmm. of what attracted you to this particular play. And, and tell people a little bit first what the play is about. Well, <coughs> the play is set in Auschwitz. <coughs> Excuse me. In 1942, mm-hmm. and it's a group of eight prisoners who are rehearsing a play, uh, a reenactment of the trial of Alfred Dreyfus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts off with basically with slapstick humor. Mm-hmm. And I know that there will be people shocked. I was shocked when I read it. But then it, it changes. It becomes very dark and very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they're doing, I mean, in reenacting the, the, the trial, <coughs> excuse me, the okay. reenacting the trial of Dreyfus, they are exposing and mocking every cliche of anti-Semitism you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so initially it, you might be offended by it, but then you see that they're mocking it and mocking yeah. the people who would believe such things. Mm-hmm. Um, when I read the play, I liked it very much, but I wanted to hear it, and so I gathered a group of actors to read it out loud, and several of them who are in the play said, when you do this play, I want to be in this play, um, which you don't usually hear from actors. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but it was it's a wonderful play and a very, very different sort of Holocaust mm-hmm. play, very different, and I just thought it was important and needed to be done it's a very different and and i've i've read uh, i've read a lot of holocaust literature um in sarajevo after the war uh after this last war um what was what remained of of the jewish community um was almost was almost completely gone um during during the second world war there uh there were uh, there were better than nine thousand um people in that community um, by the end of the war, there were fewer than 1,500. Mm-hmm. Um, when um, by the end of by the end of the, this last war, um, there were only six um, six remaining survivors that were scattered all over the world who had gone through the Holocaust and had gone through gone through the war in um, the Second World War in uh, ex Yugoslavia. Um, I, I had I had the the privilege of speaking uh, and interviewing. Um, Several of those those people, mm-hmm. uh, including a, including a gentleman named uh, Morris Albahari, uh, who uh, whose story is 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 epic. Um, but so so I, I do know that there there are very but th- there's there's very there's very little written um, that really that really brings to life. Um, the moment-to-moment struggle within within concentration camps. There's overviews. There's there, there's no way that they could have yes uh, documented. You had artists yes. drawing pictures in secret. Correct. And um, some people tried to 
keep notes when after they were liberated they try to go back and recreate it yeah but it was practically impossible right on a day-to-day basis yeah. to, to keep yeah. any kind of information most I mean, of those survivors picked up and, and went on with their lives and tried and tried to recreate as much as they could and and, and get on with their lives and yes. rebuild um so that that wasn't wasn't a prior priority and I, and I know uh Shoah and I, and I've I've seen a lot of interviews in in Spielberg Shoah mm-hmm. um uh, uh uh series I suppose um in in which in which he went back and interviewed a lot of uh, a lot of survivors mm-hmm. um but even even then we're we're sort of left wondering how the moments um, and days and hours were filled within within those camps, and I'm going to bring uh, bring Guy in here um, to talk a little bit about that. And we're going to go around the room and and introduce everybody to the cast a bit. Um, but uh, Guy, you, um, you 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 were speaking really eloquently the last time when you when you when you told me about Muse of Fire, um, and so so I, I it sort of be, it betrayed. A real sense of passion with you about this oh well yeah i mean certainly it's hard to have any concept of what uh these completely innocent people went through and not have some sense of passion for uh telling their story and and remembering what happened uh and this is a very unique like elaine was saying a very unique telling um and the the concept of people just performing any kind of art um for any kind of uh, humanity and hope amongst them um, in the midst of all this horror is just mm-hmm. a, a beautiful thing, and it's what we're trying to bring to life here. Uh, let's go. Let's go around the room and, and, and talk to the cast a little bit. And you guys want to jump in there? We'll 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 start here and move this direction. And uh, you are already starting to look the part oh. with the haircut. <laughs> um, I, I warned them that they would have to shave their heads, and they all went, "Oh no!" <laughs> so James uh, is getting a. a but it looks. Start. But it looks good. No, well, thank you. Uh, no, my name is uh, James McGuire. I'm a. I've been living in Chicago for four years, uh, and I've been acting and going here. And I actually uh, I found out about the show because. Jake, who is uh, sitting next to me, we went to college together, and we both moved to the city. Um, and he texted me about it like at six fifty in the morning, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Hey, uh, we need someone for the show. Uh, would you be interested?" And I wasn't doing anything at the time, so I said yes. Um, so I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." Uh, and it, I know that sounds bad, but it was uh, it was very it was very spur of the moment. And then I sat down. I met with uh, uh, Elaine at her apartment uh, with another gentleman and Jake, and we just read the script, and it was very very moving. Um, and it was something definitely sounded like something that I wanted to be a part of. Um, and yeah, I was the first person to shave my head. Uh, and she told us about it when I was sitting down with her. She's like, I, I usually have very big, thick hair, and I've never had my hair even close to this short. And the, and first, a- and the first day that I did it, um, it was actually, a, I did not have a good day. I had a headache all day because oh. you've never, like, if you've never done it, I read, I was reading online, like, your skin is so sensitive, so I had a headache. Oh, wow headache yeah. all day everything was throwing me off i was dizzy all day and I, I took a couple of notes about that about what that would have been like if that had happened to you and you were also you know in a concentration camp and so mcguire being you know. such a good hebrew yeah. name uh, well, uh exactly <laughs> what, what was there any was there anything uh as you've gone through this here um that surprised you or or, or something that maybe that you didn't know or didn't understand um about the holocaust or or 
this experience? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, it, I think we're still all exploring a little bit about what yeah. about what it meant to really be in these circumstances and conditions. And we yeah. have we've had some good discussions so far about just what those conditions were like. Um, I think my first I think my first taste of it was shaving my head. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that's that was the first little dip into the reality pool of what it was like to what it was like to start a little bit of an, yeah, exactly. of an identity rob. exactly i'm like wow yeah. okay this is this is what everyone would have looked like this and i didn't get to you know just sit in my apartment and do it with my little clippers i was you would have been thrown into a room and done something like that along with yeah. a million other things yeah so i think that's that was my first step into that and i know that we're still diving in and still rehearsing so i'm, I'm sure there's other things that we're going to explore awesome. together as a cast uh, hi, my name is Jake. Uh, I'm going to be playing Haas. Uh, it's Jake Baker. It's my last name. But we, uh, I'm the guy who actually got James involved in this. <laughs> I was one of the first people, whenever Elaine had the first reading, mm-hmm. I was like, hey, I need, I want to be in this play. Like, yeah. this is something yeah, that is, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I mean, I was like, <laughs> I went to Elaine kind of secretly and was like, hey, if you do this play, I want to be in it. <laughs> and uh, she called me up afterwards or not call me up you emailed and was like hey we're doing another reading we had another reading and she's like i'm gonna cast it uh-huh. and then we had an, i think it was with guy and That's me right. and guy <laughs> kind of switched off parts right. that i think elaine thought she wanted yeah. either one of us to play and then cast us and i was like i'm very happy with the with the role that i got uh-huh. um i am the <laughs> i am the outsider in here because well in the play because Everybody else is a Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, prisoner, yeah. and I am a German. I am a gay German who came into the line, and they were like, oh, what, is your last, "What is your last? What is your grandmother's last name?" And I was like, it's "Hirsch" instead of Haas. And then I get put in there with all these Jewish prisoners, and they know mm-hmm. I'm not Jewish. Well, they don't know to start. Some of them don't know. One or two of them know. Yeah. Uh, And then it comes out explosively. Well, I mean, at the very beginning, they know I'm gay. So there's this this sort of – there's this really interesting kind of interpersonal dynamic even within – I mean, it's sort of like a play within a play within a play. And and so so the the character dynamics are are really interesting. (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's hard for me – like whenever I started reading this, I started going through like – reading articles, and yeah, what yeah. you're saying is there's just an overview. There's no day-to-day minutiae of yeah. what actually yeah. went on. And I kept reading and reading, and I was like, well, since I'm gay, there's also this other part of being a German, hearing about it, uh-huh. and then getting thrown into it uh-huh. would be horrifying to me, yeah. to be like, my own people are doing this to me. Yeah, And it just... Now, kind of a personal hard. question. Are you gay? In no. Real okay. No, no, no. So, so is, 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 I mean, is there, from that, that standpoint, is there anything about that character that you needed, that you needed to explore and needed to come to in, in order to find that motivation or that perspective? Well, in terms of playing gay, I've done it multiple times before. Yeah. Um, but as far as this, I mean, I'm, I'm still diving into what it would be like in the concentration camp. Yeah. I, and I, I'm, I will be in the context more. of the 1940s, even. Yeah, even that. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a taboo back then. I mean, it's a taboo now, but how much of a taboo was it back then? Yeah, yeah. Um, you were in hiding, even if you, if you're gay, you were in hiding as much as everybody else. You weren't. Yeah. Everybody's a Jewish. I think, I, 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 yeah, and and I think I think the dynamic is if if you were if you were from a city, say like like Berlin or Paris, that there that there was there was some 
at least tacit acceptance. Right. Um, but if you were if you were from a small town or from a village, um, you know, I, I saw that in um, in Bosnia um, when I spent time um, with with folks from the homosexual community there, and they were still they were still having to go out, um, paired off boy girl boy girl. Um, even though you know the, the the two the two guys who were who were together, um, that was that was part of that double date thing. But if but if but if they had gone out together um, openly, they they would have they would have incurred derision and even violence. Right. Um, often, I think we've seen that in in Russia and, and other places pretty pretty dramatically. Yeah. Um, the the one thing and, and we're gonna we're gonna keep moving around here, but the the, the one thing um, that I always found about plays was it's sort of like a polygamist marriage. You know, people like to talk about um, people like to talk about uh, uh, business partners being being sort of a marriage, and 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 it's it's like finding that one right person in order to make it successful and make it work. But a play needs that as well. But you need to do it with a full cast of people. <laughs> Um, yes, I've true. never heard theater described so well. <laughs> so, so, so the interesting thing about because you guys are such close friends, and Jake, you wanted to bring uh, you, you, you. Sounds like you really fought hard to bring to bring James into this. Yeah, it was one of those things. It's like I knew she needed people, and I yeah. went, "Who do I trust? Who do I?" And I thought back to my past. And I knew who was in. interesting. I, I, text, I texted him. I was like, "Hey, can." Are you doing anything? He's yeah. like, no. Like, Would you like to do this? Had you guys performed together previously? Uh, we, we went to college. But we never. We were never in a show together. Okay. Until now. Until now. All right. Yeah. So I just, just to be clear, James was doing absolutely nothing. No. <laughs> <laughs> he was just. I was there. just sitting alone at a dark room. Waiting for the no. phone to ring. No. Let's let's go to the next. Uh, hi, my name's uh, Murphy Mayer, and I play Imri in the script, who also doubles as Declam. Um, he's a young Hungarian religious Jew, uh-huh. um, so within the play he deals with a lot of internal conflict with putting on this play, which is basically just like bashing his own people. So wow. he has a really hard time, like you know, even saying the text. Yeah. So it's been really um, interesting to be working that on stage and mm-hmm. like working different degrees of devotion to the to the text and like. The play within a play is just really interesting for all of us. Um, brings on a nice little layer that I'm not used to. Very nice. How, how, how did you get? How, what what attracted you to to the role uh, and to the and to the play? Um, I was um, heard about the auditions for this production yeah, um, yeah. of a friend of a friend, uh, one of the community members. His name's Scott Purdy. Yeah. Give you a little shout out. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and <laughs> so he gave me a heads up, and I came and met Elaine. We talked about the production. Yeah. Um, she told me about kind of the whole concept of it. It seemed really intriguing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like any other Holocaust play you're going to come across ever. Yeah, no, so, it's, it's very, it's really a, a unique perspective. Yeah, it's a really nice balanced play because, you know, it starts out kind of light, and it's like, oh, wait, we're in a Holocaust, we're in a concentration camp, and then it's like, just goes, just spiraling down so i mean you know get you get like kind of the you know a lighter side of the a play yeah. and then you get just some truth and like history and yeah yeah it'd be interesting to see how the people of chicago respond to this play. absolutely <laughs> I, I i i do have to say one thing it, it did, did a lot of people t- uh, turn out to um to audition for the play i <clears throat> i did not hold open auditions okay um i cast from people i knew okay people who had been recommended to me um this was a very 
difficult play, and yeah. I wanted people that I knew I could work with. Absolutely. So a lot of these guys worked with me in other shows, uh, or they were recommended to me yeah. by people I trusted. So. I, I and and the reason I asked that is is I have to say I mean I I've seen I've seen Holocaust lots of Holocaust movies and 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 what have you, um, but sometimes sometimes there's new world faces and 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 it's if that makes sense there's there's a there's faces and expressions and morphology sort of changes with time, mm-hmm. um, but but all of all of the actors here in the play look look like they could have stepped out of the 1930s and 40s and they they look contemporary and, and sort of have um and I, i'm not going to say a severity um because there there's a, there's a difference in in the way people look now than than they did at that period with with maybe maybe less um less cynicism and less less of the layering of of history and time and media and all of that mm-hmm. and 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 sort of a sort of a, a simpleness but then there's also kind of an old world sort mm-hmm. look look to people and and I, and I think I think it's captured very nicely in in all of these folks that um that they really look like they um you you, you you don't have to make that additional leap if you're sitting in the audience um, that you're very comfortable as if you've just stepped into a moment. Plus, of course, I mean, in the show, not only will their heads be shaved, but they will be wearing the Auschwitz prisoner uniforms. Yeah. So it should be fairly shocking for the audience when they see them. And, I, and I, I want, I'd love to get into the mechanics of that a little bit as well, too, because, because sort of building the idea... Um, for the audience of of being in Auschwitz um, or being being in a concentration camp is 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 a difficult one. Um, but we want to get in uh, in and do we get everybody? So we've got we've got one we've got one more. Uh, um, my name is Taylor Pittman. I've uh, been in Chicago for about two years now, and this is my second show since I moved to Chicago. Uh, I I heard about this play. Uh, through Elaine because I had worked with her last year in a show called Creation's Birthday, mm-hmm. which was about <clears throat> uh, the relationship between Albert Einstein and another scientist called Edwin Hubble. Mm-hmm. And I had I had a bit part in that. And once that was over, Elaine asked me, would you like to come to my house for this uh, reading that we're having of this show, Muse of Fire? And I said, yeah, absolutely, because uh, nobody else had offered me any work. And, then, <laughs> and I was like, there's a theme going the on. There is. <laughs> How, forget, uh, forget everything I said about theater for the last half hour. <laughs> it's an extensive process of uh, him sitting alone and then doing the phone call. <laughs> so, but I was thrilled that I was going to get another job uh, so uh, close after that. And uh, we met, and I think about maybe two or three people that are in this room right now uh-huh. were at that same reading. And months and months went by. I didn't hear anything. And then uh, she emailed me back, we're going to have another reading. And I was kind of was kind of sort of hesitant because I had uh, some other stuff coming up with that and uh, wasn't really sure where I was going to be. But thankfully, it worked out to where I could participate and just be involved in this show. And 
when I first uh, read it at that first reading, I was blown away by uh, just the humor that it was um, that it was exhibiting mm-hmm. through the text and just through everybody just reading the lines flatly. I mean, you could it was making me laugh mm-hmm. and. <clears throat> In an unexpected place. In a really unexpected place. And uh, I think, like most people that are going to go see this, hopefully they were thinking, oh, should I really be laughing at that? That's not, uh, in the context of things, that's not really funny, but... But that's what people are. Right. And I think that's uh, that was the thing that stuck out at me, because I've never really been, had the chance to be a part of anything that had the potential to make people uh, think in such a way, yeah, uh, had yeah. the potential to divide uh, yeah. such opinion. And, of course, you know, in the last moments of the play, it gets really serious, and uh, I just I just went, okay, th- this is a one-of-a-kind one show. This is the sort of show that needs more attention. It needs um, strong, yeah. strong actors that are not afraid uh, to do anything on stage and <clears throat> that are not afraid to just take down their walls uh-huh. and just show whatever emotion, whether it's coming from a real place or whether they've done you know so much research and they've just taken their minds into somebody that has been in this situation and they're, they're faking it, yeah. faking it well, uh, I would say. <laughs> tell us, tell us but, a little bit about your character. My character, uh, I've discovered recently, is sort of an enigma uh-huh. because in the script he's always referred to as uh, as Bordefray, Bordefray, uh, sort of a French Jew. Uh-huh. But we've gone through the script, and uh, that's what they call him when they are rehearsing uh, the actual play within this play. They call him General Bordefray. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I also have a bit part where I play uh, Matthew Dreyfus, brother of Alfred, and then I also play... Yeah. Yes. And I also play uh, Demange, who is uh, Dreyfus's uh, defense attorney. Okay. So I've discovered that I my character has never really had a real name. And uh, <laughs> so I'm sort of the... <laughs> This is just me exaggerating, trying to make me sound more important than I really am. But, uh, You're an enigma. Well, what, what sort I'm, of, a, I'm a narcissist. What sort of um, – because, because all of you guys are – anybody anybody Jewish in the room? Okay. For, so, for those of you on the air, that was two people? It was two people. <laughs> uh, so, so one character, one director. Um, so, so for the rest of you um, – and, and – even even well, do you, do you guys have any connection to to anybody um, who directly who suffered um, or who was lost in the Holocaust? No, no. My family was fortunate enough to have gotten out to see the the storm that was coming, so my family okay. escaped to America early on. Thankfully, my family came to America at the turn of the century. Okay, they, we had nobody in Europe at all. So so there's there's something, um, and and I, I, I think. All, all of my Jewish friends um, have have probably probably a, a, a much better understanding or knowledge, um, or at least at least an idea of of the Holocaust. 
probably much more than than the rest of the general population. And I, I, I'm Catholic. Go ahead. I th- well, I think part of that is because the thought never leaves you that it could have been you yes. or your family yes. if you happened to have been there. And because people were targeted very, very specifically because they were Jewish. Right. Um, so, but... So, but but I guess I guess this pretty this this pretty much applies to everyone equally. Then, what preparation was necessary, or 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 what sort of leap was necessary for you to come to not only not only a Jewish character, uh, except except for um, uh, for Jake, um, but but also um, also somebody suffering this type of trauma. Go ahead. Uh, I guess we'll start with. Uh, well, we'll start with Taylor. He's right up on the microphone there. Um, I guess it. Thinking about it, it's kind of like uh, what Guy says in the play. Uh, one of your lines is, "Leon, all you have to do is just stand there and feel persecuted." Is that victimized? Victimized. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you'll. I'm sure you'll be a natural. And but I, but I, I I gotta say, given given something like this, it's sort of like it's sort of like a black guy playing a a, a, a white guy playing a black guy. Yeah, you and know, there there's still there's still there's still an ascension, there's still a distance that you need to there there's a there's a there's a river that you need to cross in order to get there. A big one, and, a really big one, and it's really it was just more of trying to, I guess, just take a moment where I've felt, you know, just sort of downtrodden, I guess, just like somebody had ignored me or treated me cruelly and just, like, sort of try to expand on it. But, of course, you know, I'll never be able to understand what these people went through at all. Yeah, there's no no understanding. There's no school. We can just take whatever... No. Tiny little bits mm-hmm. we have in it, try and amplify it to the nth degree to mm-hmm. to bring it to mm-hmm. the, the stage like this. But but Pretty like much. you say, it is it is quite a challenge to to be somebody who's not a Jewish person, yeah. uh, and and to try and accurately bring that to the stage and yeah. and, and live in those shoes. And we're still in the midst of a lot of research. And, but uh, but also, as you guys have all indicated, all of these characters have a history. Uh, yes. Hungarian Jew and uh, James. Oh yeah, I uh, I play Emmanuel, who also plays Mercy, and he's uh, he's um, uh, also, I'm, from what I've read from the script, he's also um, a French Jew. Okay, as well. So okay. coming from coming from that area. Um, yeah. And he, and in the same way, to expound on what Guy said a little bit, it's. We can't. We can't know. We weren't there, mm-hmm. and and I think to try and pretend or do anything else like that, even though we are as actors, it's we have to take some of the things that we that we experience in our lives, try and amplify them, try yeah. and ex- understand as best we can. We are all doing a lot of research. We we pass around videos and uh-huh. movies and things uh-huh. that we find. Like, hey, let's all watch this. Let's go right. see this. This is some great research. This is what it was like. Um, I had the fortune I've showed everybody pictures of visiting uh, Auschwitz when I was 16, 17 years old. Wow. Um, and I showed them some of the pictures of it. And it's an, an, ex- it's an extremely haunting place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Believe what you will about energy, af- past life ghosts or whatever. But there is – there's an energy to that place. There's and a weight it, to it. And yeah. it's the quietest place I've ever been in my life. Yeah, I, like I visited yeah. Dachau in the early 90s. It, and... It's so – it's just so – quiet and haunting and yeah. you know and to see like the gas chamber and yeah. to see the they still have a couple of the ovens set up yeah. it's it's not it's like nothing else that you've seen so we know that we won't actually be able to 
maybe as accurately portray something as or as somebody who was there or is yeah. in the room or got to be on set like if mo- most people have seen Schindler's List or anything mm-hmm. else like that when they went on location to those places that carries mm-hmm. an energy and a weight um, so I guess um, the best part that we'll be able to do is if to quote Laurence Olivier is we'll try acting yeah. so uh, <laughs> is, is yeah. the best thing that we'll is the best interpretation we'll be able to do so and hopefully that, we do that well yeah and, and, and that and that brings up an important point that I, I want to ask and you guys are you guys going to do a scene from from the play yeah. yes. okay yeah. Um, yeah. Let, yeah. Uh, so let me just ask uh, ask our, our director here um, that there there is there is quite a bit out there about the Holocaust the piano Schindler's list um, the gray zone I mean the uh, uh, I'm, now, I'm Son trying of to... Saul coming up. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, there's there's a lot out there about the Holocaust. How do you how do you distinguish um, this work um, so that it's not a caricature um, or it's relying on on assumptions of those others and, and it's a standalone piece or a unique piece? Um, how, how how do you do that as a director? <coughs> well. Um... The playwright, Jake Rosenberg, who was a very young man and very talented, said that he wanted this to be a new way of Uh looking at the Holocaust, uh, of using humor and not to let Holocaust theater, uh, other artistic aspects of the Holocaust, become so entrenched, Uh so rigid that it cannot be changed, you can't look at it a different way. And so that's what we're trying to do is to hopefully show people a new way to look at this and a new way to look at the, the people in the concentration camps, not yeah. as symbols or, or stereotypes, but as real people. And I, th- I think, I think the, this play, what I've, what I've heard and seen of it so far, um, really, really does have dramatically. You guys want to jump in and do a scene? Sure. Sure. Uh, who wants to who wants to set up the scene? Um, give some context to it. I will. You want me to do that? Elaine. Okay. Um, this is within this scene. They are rehearsing the play within the play, which is a recreation of the trial of Dreyfus. Um, and there are moments when they go out of the play, and guy who's playing the director uh-huh. says, you know, is giving them prompts and cues and, and you know telling them what to do. Um, so what's happened is the French uh, army authorities are trying to railroad Dreyfus and have him arrested as a German spy because he's the only Jewish officer in the French army Uh, and they want him out of there so they've been concocting evidence they've been doing everything they can and so they're getting ready to bring him in and question him Um, and so you've got Mercier who is the war minister you've got Declam who's the Graphologist who's uh, examined the letters that supposedly Dreyfus wrote, uh, and then Dreyfus himself. All right, this comes is in. this is Muse of Fire. Uh, take it away, guys. Oh, Colonel DeClam, I hereby authorize you to make the arrest personally. Whoa, whoa, let's not get too carried away here. You're mo- you're more than worthy, Damon. I couldn't agree more, but but what? You're absolutely sure he's the right guy. No, you idiot. He's the wrong guy. That's why we want him out of here. Yes, we're sure. Major, you yourself said you had no doubt the letters were written by the same author? That was before I knew I had to get involved. I have a fear of confrontation. You have a career in the army. I'm French. Major, what are your reservations? 
Did you not just inform me of your desire to rid the world of the Jewish peril? If I arrest the wrong man, the newspapers will surely find out. My reputation will be ruined. What about Major Picard? Major Picard is currently predisposed. If this goes wrong, sir, if he turns out to be innocent, I don't want to be the one to look bad. Don't worry, Colonel. We'll all look bad. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Now, here's the plan. Whisper, 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 whisper. You may come in now, Captain Dreyfus. Uh... One more day. About tomorrow, I'll have all the lines memorized, Georg. I, I admire I your just... zeal, but in the attention I've lavished so graciously upon you, I've neglected the rest of my company. Please. Nope, we're doing a play about the Dreyfus but, affair. We can't Georg, keep I doing... I don't think I'm ready. You're new here. You're nervous. I can understand that. I've been working with you and teaching you so that you could get up to speed. You have been all rehearsing this for weeks, and I don't else. know it. I just think one more night. One more night of working here with you, and I swear I'll be ready. We've already spent enough time just working me and you. We've got to get the whole play moving tonight. We've lost one Dreyfus already. We can't keep doing a play about the Dreyfus affair without him. What happened to the last Dreyfus? He ran into an electric fence. <sighs> Between you and me, he was always a drama queen. <sighs> Listen, just relax. Be confident. Go out there and just be yourself. What if I hate myself? Leon, my friend, all you have to do is stand there and be victimized. I'm sure you'll be a natural. What if I can't remember my lines? I'll feed you your lines. I just... When in doubt, just say, I'm innocent. That's the gist of the scene. Okay. Now, Captain, there's something I need you to do for me. I'm innocent. Actually, just just do what I tell you. Say it again. <clears throat> now, Captain, there's something I need you to do for me. Yes? Yes. Yes, what? Yes, what? Yes, sir. Yes, sir? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I need you to take down a letter for me. Uh, perhaps you're wondering why we called you all the way into my office on a Sunday to do something as simple as that? Uh, yes, I'm wondering why you called me in the office. Well, it turns out I have a sore finger. Therefore, I cannot write. I immediately thought of you as perfect for the job. Uh, thank you, sir. <clears throat> Ready? Ready. My dearest Schwarzkopen. How are you? How are things in Germany, which I love so very much? Enjoying the land you stole from my country? <laughs> I know I am. Attached are some highly important military secrets from France that I hope you will make use of, you rascal you. What's going on? Why have you stopped writing? Stop writing. Oh. What's the matter, Dreyfus? Your hands are trembling. Tremble. More. Less! Is it because you're cold? No. Yes. Uh, yes, I'm freezing. But you're not actually freezing. Instead, you're upset about the injustice you feel is being lobbed against you. Uh, yes, this, this lobbying is apparently an injustice, and I will not stand for it. Well, that's funny, because neither will I. In the name of the law, I arrest you. You are accused of the crime of high treason. Well, what proof do you have? Right here, my dearest Schwarzkopen, how are things in Germany, which I love so very much? Oh, that's ridiculous. We have a word for ridiculous here in the French army. Proof! proof. Oh, I haven't done anything. He says he hasn't done anything. What do we do? I don't know. Uh, keep going. It's too late to turn back now. Uh, the evidence is overwhelming. What evidence? You know, the evidence. That's a lie. Not according to my compatriots over here. Well, don't bring me into this. Captain, I didn't want to have to put this option on the table, but you don't necessarily have to go to prison. I don't? No, I don't. Yes, you don't. What? Yes, Captain Dreyfus. You can protect your honor. Why, if you play your cards right, you could even have this whole affair named after you. All you have to do is use this. What's this? A gun. Well, what do I do with that? You kill yourself. Um. 
No, you don't actually kill yourself. That was just my line. Well, but you just said... Forget what I said. Just do what I said. Look, I will not kill myself. Why? Because, uh, well, I'm innocent, and so I'm not going to kill myself in order to live so I can prove my innocence. Dreyfus's expository dialogue makes a point. We won't be able to keep this quiet for long. Well, that's someone else's concern. Captain Dreyfus, you're going to jail. Take him away. Elaine, I have to ask you this question. All the theater that I've been around, there's always, there's always the, um, the, the idea of energy. Mm-hmm. And, and before every play, the cast gets together and, and does energy exercises in order to... Um, is, is that completely the opposite with this play? Do you, you just lay down on the floor and just go, oh, God... I won't be surprised if that's what happens Uh, but there is some physical uh, brouhaha in in this so there will be a fight call before every performance oh wow okay Uh, there's some minor uh, violence but I well I found that uh, pre-show warm-ups are really individual with each actor so I'm not sure what they're going to do and as long as they come out and do the show that's (laughs) that's up to them (laughs) that is something that's really a fun dichotomy in the show though is that we've got the really farcical kind of high energy Marx Brothery satirical stuff in the play within a play and then Uh we've got outside of that our real characters who are just completely exhausted and living in this horrible situation and then how much they can snap into these high energy bits so I think we're we're going to do high energy warm ups and then just lay down and go oh god and then between the two things we'll be alright does the whole place does the whole play take take place within within a barracks yes okay Um, so so how, how 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 did you go about recreating that for the audience? And then, and then the costuming was really interesting. Um, as far as the set, there is no set. Um, the costumes, <laughs> yeah, I, I told my costumer that they have to be absolutely accurate. I sent her photographs. Wow. Um, because that is something people know. Yeah. And they will yeah. know if they're wrong. Yeah. So um, I was much more interested in that. The set... Um, is basically a broken chair. That's okay. It. And, and, and often I think that that's that's what I did with my last couple of plays, and it's it's really sort of, I think the best. Mm-hmm. I, I really. I am a super minimalist yeah. when it comes yeah. to the set. As 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 actors, does does that help you? That minimalism does that help you, or or would you prefer to have have a have a the whole thing laid out for you, or or does it help you? Uh, my uh, Murphy will go to you. Um, does does that help you sort of build the whole event inside your mind and bring it to the character and, and the place more strongly? Well, working on a project like this, I think this is a very um, character-heavy, like, oriented, focused play yeah. because these characters are going through so many different circumstances. Yeah. Um, so finding the key to this um, particular piece would just be investing like detailed into the circumstances of each of our characters um, and you know finding where I had an acting teacher once tell me you know there's um, there's love and hope in every scene and you know in a script like this it's you know it's a little bit harder to find but it, I'm sure it's in there and that's what I think will be the undercurrent and like the energy that will make this bring this piece to life yeah. you know, once just, they're on stage they are all on stage for the whole show yeah wow 
That's yeah. Yes. And, and I want to say that the Red Twist Theater space that we're going to be performing in, I mean, it is tiny. Tiny. So there's barely room for us to have a set if we had one. Uh, and I think it's really going to be just the eight of us guys just on top of our audience in this mm-hmm. small space. So it's going to be extremely intimate. Yes. And, uh, I think it's not going to take too much imagination for the audience to, to really feel like they're there. Are you guys rehearsing in the in the in the uh, in the theater yet? Or? We're, we're rehearsing yet. in a space that and this is the at the top of um, Elaine's condo building, which yeah. is nice because it's well, it's a small it's a small little kind of like party space that they use up there. It's just a small room, mm-hmm. but it's good because it it's still nice that there's eight grown men on stage in this small space, and it's going to be on a small theater as well. Yeah. And if anything, I think that helps us just as much. That mm-hmm. this is as much space or as little space as we think we have here, they had less. They had so much less. Yeah. Sleeping yeah. seven or eight in a bunk. Yeah. You know, and yeah. for all of us, I think it's only going to help once we get in there and once we all get together mm-hmm. and we are like, and it's always different. You know, we're trying to block it out as we work through the scenes and walk and where should I be standing? Oh, mm-hmm. am I blocking him? We want to make sure since we're all on stage the whole time. But at one point, we kind of all just realized, well, this is. I would just have to sit down in a corner. There'd be no other space. There's nowhere else to go. You're here. So... Will any of you be getting lice uh, as preparation? (laughs) Yes. No. No, No, that was uh, the one thing that I was scared about uh, when I first took this part. I was like, okay, I can... I'm good with shaving my head, even though, like James, parts of skin that have not seen the light of day for 25 years has... Is sort of painful, but I was kind of worried. Okay, is she gonna ask me to lose a bunch of weight for this? Because of course, you know they, they were starving, and I was like, I'm not that method. So, <laughs> although but, although uh, I, will, I will say this in in 1997, I, I don't if you remember the um, uh, the concentration camps in Bosnia. Um, in the early 90s. In 1997, two years after the war, uh, I spoke with uh, with a person uh, in Sarajevo who had been in one of those camps. Um, and and he, w- he had been called out by, by the Serbian press at the time uh, because he didn't, look, he didn't look like he was starving. <laughs> he didn't look hungry enough. Um, so, so I, I mean, I, I think there's, I think there's a, there's a bit of, bit of reality to that, that, you know, it, it's, it, it's not, it's not always, I mean, you, I, I look back at, I look back at pictures uh, of, of friends and, and, and things during the war and, and people that I keep in contact with now. And, you know, I can tell that they were starving, but I, I don't, I don't think everybody necessarily comes to that. And I think, um, I think it's just the power of the piece, and we've already started to abuse uh, Jake back here after he whacked his head on the uh, on the screen. So we're we're already we're already bruising him up for the. Uh, and I did bring lice, so now you all have lice. No. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's that's important. Um, so I, I um, I'm gonna we we got to jump into some other things here, and but I but I did want to. Um, let people know uh, that uh, they can go to Brown Paper Tickets, and I, I've been uh, been sharing that on my uh, my Facebook, uh, and we continue to do that. And, and we're make some also noise. participating in Chicago Theater Week. Oh, great! And they can go to that uh, site as well. Oh, fantastic! Okay, mm-hmm. um, you guys will continue to feed me feed me information, um, and whatever you send me, I will um, I, I will will post and forward. 
uh, and, and continue making noise about it. So Terrific. Yeah, and, awesome. and just the, it does open February 13th. So we're about yes. a little less than a month out, and it's going to run through March 13th. Yep. Uh, and thank um, you for your time. Yeah, February 13th through the March 15th uh, at the uh, the Red Twist Theater, uh, 1044 West Bryn Mar- That's in my neighborhood. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. you have to come out. Yeah, we're, 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 def- we're definitely going to come. Um, the performance times are Saturdays, uh, 3 p.m., uh, and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Sundays, seven thirty p.m. Tickets are twenty dollars. That's a uh, that's a steal for something that I think is um, is really important. I think there's there's a lot of humanity in in this piece, um, as as I think just that little snippet um, alludes to. So. Um, thank you, thank you all for for coming. Thank you, thank you. Muse of Fire. Um, yes. We're we're going to be talking about it more. And anytime you guys want to come in uh, and just sit down and hang out um, and talk about the play or talk about uh, talk about whatever, uh, the door is always open. It's a really pleasure seeing all of you guys and, and a pleasure meeting all of you. So thank you, uh, rock on. So we're going to go to a break here. You're listening to Helter Skelter with W. C. Turk. Uh, I'll be right back. In just a minute, this is Magnolia Electric Company with The Dark Don't Hide It. Be right back.
Thank everybody from uh, Muse of Fire, a, uh, a brand new play uh, that uh, you can see. Uh, we, uh, the wife and I are definitely going to go see it. Uh, oh yeah, I'm playing. definitely interested. It's very it sounds exciting. It, it really does, and, and a really unique, uh, interesting twist on it. Uh, so, I, so I guess it's sort of uh, ironic that it's at the Red Twist Theater, uh, <laughs> 1044 West uh, Bryn Mawr. Uh, that's in uh, that's in the Rogers Park neighborhood. That's um, off Bryn Mawr and Broadway, Bryn Mawr and Sheridan? Yep, it's right there. Very nice. Right off the Red Line stop. Right off right the Red there. Line stop. Sheridan bus, Broadway bus, Man- 147. Convenient. No That's excuses. It. No excuses. No, Show no. Up. As a matter of fact, yes. you, you, get right off, uh, you get right off the L, uh, and you were right there at the theater, by the way. So it's almost right underneath the, uh, the tracks. Uh, again, 1044 West Bryn Mawr at the Red Twist Theater. Uh, and that's running from February 13th through March 13th. What do you got going on between now and then? Um, so check them out at Brown Paper Tickets, Muse of Fire, um, and uh, maybe we'll see you there. Uh, in the meantime, we've got uh, we've got a lot of uh, uh, we've got a lot of headlines to get through, and there's oh, there's boy. an awful boy there was an awful lot that I wanted to bring. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to f- see if I have this. Um, no, I didn't. Uh, didn't bring it up. Uh, Oregon militia standoff. Man arrested driving stolen government vehicle. Yep. The standoff oh, with armed militia in Oregon, this is from last night, escalated on Friday after police swooped in. This is really an escalation. Is anybody paying attention to this anymore? These guys oh, are just what? sort of... Huh? Huh? Is any, huh? yeah, exactly. Um, these guys are just sort of uh, sad, pathetic losers at this point. Swooped in uh, in, one, uh, in on one of the protesters to make the first arrest in connection with a two-week-old occupation of a federal wildlife refuge in Oregon. Kenneth uh, uh, Medenbach, uh, who was arrested for unauthorized use of a government vehicle, not taking over, not taking over a government right. installation uh, with uh, with guns and threatening violence, but you know, um, just just unauthorized use of a government vehicle, uh, is a chainsaw sculptor and a longtime nemesis of the government with a history of previous entanglements with the courts. Over the occupation of federal lands, uh, he is one of the first militiamen connected to the armed occupation to the arrest since the uh, since the bird sanctuary in rural Oregon was unexpectedly taken over on January second. Um, I want to ask you guys, um, Evan and Darren, if um, if you think that this thing is being handled correctly by authorities. Well, let me tell you, I read. Uh, Thank you, Thomas. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, seriously. I, I read an article um, that the FBI wants to handle this like this. They would you want like a beer, the by local, the way? I would love a beer. Yeah. And I, I said, this oh, this sounds like – all over me. 
Yeah. This he sounds does a lot of head. This sounds <laughs> this sounds like the kind of uh, beer that Thomas would like. The name of it is it is. Hold on, hold on one second. Um, it's uh, Schoolhouse Honey Amber Lager with a schoolgirl on the front. Yes, she she she, she looks a little bit more you know, than you know, a schoolgirl. Yeah, I could I could make I could. She, make she's a very here, but... well developed eighth grader. So anyway, um, <laughs> I could make a lot of the FBI. The FBI admittedly admittedly wants local authorities to do arrests one by one. They want to arrest individuals, not the whole group as as a whole. Right. So, you know, just they sort of want to parcel these guys away and, until they um, go away. Uh, yeah, until until they, they, they do go. Boy, I, I guess I guess I really did uh, splash uh, splash yeah. Thomas. Um, it's not the first time. It won't be the last. <laughs> um, just saying. while he's well, coming my, back here. Yeah, go ahead. So my, I, my so I want to get your thoughts. He, he's if got his travel. Asked, he's got his travel bag. It? I mean, there's a part of me wants wants this this place carpet bombed, uh, <laughs> but you know, understanding that it's been tainted. It's, it's the question of it's it feels like it feels like the military and the government are handling it in a vastly different way than they have handled previous issues in the past. Yeah, like which Waco is, and you know, yeah, with rich. Waco, it was go in and start shooting, and this time they're choosing not to go in and start shooting, but it's. It's it's interesting that you get a group of, what is it, twenty white guys with a rifle taking over a national park, and it's they're militants. Yes. But the flip side is, yeah, you get protesters of color, and suddenly they're they're thugs, and they're, they're angry, yeah. and they're terrorists. Yeah. Well, just because you you have a Bible with you means you're you're a Christian and you're following the Lord's good word. I I'm not <laughs> sure how I follow that. A little side note: in 1979, people of color did take over federal um, land. Um, I, I don't know the exact details, but uh, they were removed in three days with force. Yes, just for FYI. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and and then we we know what happened in Philadelphia. Yeah, yes, yeah, so with with the bombing of um, and the death of how many uh, was it? Eleven people, something like that. Yeah, Some, something like that. So. Uh, GOP, uh, GOP presidential candidates really embarrass themselves during the Iran Navy incident. Uh, one of the things that I posted today <laughs> on Facebook—did you see that post? Yeah. Um, was was a, what, what what to say to all your right wing friends when they talk about how uh, how we were disrespected um, when when our boat when our boats even uh, admitted to by the sailors drifted into their territorial waters. In other words, uh, on, onto their property. And and one of the things that struck me about that is, you know, there there are the images and the video of American sailors on their knees with their hands behind their head, which just drove the right wing nuts. And 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 they were all over Obama about not referring to it during the State of the Union uh, State of the Union address this week. However, um, those same right wingers are probably the same people that were that were standing out in front of buses full of children screaming this is america go home in these with these this red-faced rage uh, but are you guys are, are you guys familiar with the story a little bit yes it was a non-issue i mean we okay. pretty much we knew that they were going to be released quickly we already yeah, knew yeah. they were going to be and that's why obama didn't didn't say anything about it okay. in in the state of the union but uh, the Republicans, being the ilk that they are, wanted— and they are an ilk, by the way. Yeah, more like ilk, you know, 
but uh, they wanted to go for it. They wanted to make a Hail Mary, mm-hmm. and the Hail Mary didn't pan out. It, it okay. was the equivalent of a neighbor kid hits their ball in your backyard. Uh, uh, you yeah. go grab it, you give it back. Yeah. That's it. And the reason why they were detained is very logically is, oh, I'm sorry, you're our enemy, and some a boat of yours ended up on our property. Excuse me if I want to make sure you're not here to bomb me. And also, <laughs> it was late night. Yeah. It's, it's also called a Christian charity thing that if you end up on my porch at 11 o'clock at night, if you need a place to sleep, we'll give you a place to sleep. We'll send you home in the morning. And in the morning, yeah, it was the morning when they went, went home. It was and the break of day. They got a nice. They got a. You know, if uh, what, what's 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 the Persian uh, the Persian place in Andersonville? Um, what's Re- that? Reza's. Reza's. Thank you. Reza's. Um, oh, that's so good. That's so and, good. But I've had Persian in my mouth a couple times. It is. Well, there, there, there you go. Yeah. But 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 think how think how much you would think how much you would pay Bill's for a totally meal. Bill's totally ignoring at, you. I, 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 totally. Uh, <laughs> think how much you pay for a, for a meal at Raises. These guys got it for free. There you go. Yes. There so you they go. were they were in and out. They and got, it was authentic. They got a nice meal. They didn't have to wait for a table. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. I, I put it on on par as last year. I um. I had a uh, what I like to call my B movie brunches. People come over, we watch a trashy yeah, film, I was, there's some I was, drinking. You've I, you've been, been to one there, of them, yeah. Darren. And a blizzard hit while that was happening. And one of our friends lived in Pilsen. I live in Albany Park. Uh-huh. And by the time it was six o'clock, it was like, Hey dude, do you just want to stay the night? We have a we have a futon, we'll make you comfortable. He spent the night on the couch. We both left. And you together. had him on his <laughs> knees with, with his hands behind his back too. Next story oh. during a rambling interview on <laughs> on a Catholic. Yes, I went there during a rambling interview on a Catholic TV show monitored by Right Wing Watch. This is from the Advocate, by the way. Uh, retired neurosurgeon turned presidential candidate, uh, Dr. Ben Carson, dismissed transgender civil rights as garbage and silly before repeating his warning. Um, have you guys heard this? That's just silly. That's that's silly. That's Repeating just, his warning that, that marriage silly. equality could lead to the uh, the legalization of polygamy and the destruction of America. Um, there's a great Mike Birbiglia joke in which uh, somebody says, well, all right, so if, if gay marriage is legal, what if somebody wants to marry uh, marry his horse and his girlfriend? And, and he goes, first of all, that would make a great sitcom. <laughs> and second of all, it's kind of hot. Uh, Carson <laughs> referred to LGBT protections from discrimination as extra rights uh, and described trans uh, trans folks as a few people who are who are perhaps abnormal. He continued to dismiss equal protections for LGBT uh, people. Thomas, you want to jump in? All right. First of all, I have to just quote the great Ellen DeGeneres that when she was told about gay marriage and people like, what's next? You're going to marry a horse? And as Ellen says, and they say we're the ones with the problems. Like, yeah. you, you instantly go to bestiality, really. Like, I, I'm the crazy cat man. I love my cats. We're not going down the altar unless she's my ring bearer. And she might behave well enough to follow me down the aisle. Come on, girl. Come on, Boogie. Come get the ring. Second of all, and, and this is something. like a tiger this, this week. <laughs> I tried to take a bird Q? from Q. Oh, God. Growled at me to the point. I thought I thought that a truck, I, I thought somebody had pulled a, pulled a truck with a bad exhaust system up outside. I'd never heard this cat growl like this, but Thomas, I'm sorry. All right. And this is something, and this is, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it. 
I'm, I'm going to call out Ben Carson on this. Ben Carson, 60 years ago, as a black man in the South, you would be told where you could and could not sit on a bus. You would be told which diners you could go to, which water fountains you could go to, whether or not you had the right to vote. Yeah. Now, did you— And whether or was, not he could even look or, or, or let alone marry or date a white woman. Oh, goodness, yeah. Um, the, California was the first state to allow interracial marriages, uh-huh. and that was either 1949 or 1950. And you, you have to remember that's not really that long ago, that yeah. states were passing laws to outlaw interracial marriages. And states were passing laws because it's always save the children, think of the, save the white women. Black men want <laughs> white women. And they and, used the same excuses, too. They used the same arguments. And, yeah. and to be honest— Ben Carson, as a black man, if you walk down the street and someone throws something at you, someone shoots you, it's called a crime. It's called discrimination. And if I, as an openly gay man, Lord knows I don't pass. I have never passed. There was one of those, like, are you LGBTQ? No, I'm O for obvious. (laughs) Darren. Oh, no, finish time. And if I want to walk down the street and address... This is supposed to be the land of the free. Supposed There's a difference between someone catcalling me, which, to be blunt, it's, it's, we, can, we will never stop that. Mm-hmm. There will always be people with rude comments. Yeah. What happens is does the government, do the police, how do they recognize this? Are we back to the, well, if he didn't want that to happen, he shouldn't have worn a dress. Are we back to because I am a gay man, v- I'm victim. asking to be abused. Victim shaming. Yes. yes. In other words, yeah. Um, uh, seven candidates for, on the Republican ticket have already stated they are going to try to pl- pass legislation to rescind any and all laws that uh, give rights to gays and lesbians. Yes, I know. That's yeah, I couldn't agree more. And what the hell is going on with your hair over there? I'm growing it long. <laughs> I'm growing it long. Yeah. By the way, uh, since Thomas brought up uh, freedom, uh, this hour of. Uh, the uh, Helter Skelter Show with W.C. Turk is brought to you um, by uh, 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 Patriotism, brought to you by Stay Free Maxi Pads. Stay Free Maxi Pads, the official pad of the Oregon Militia. Stay Free Maxi Pads. Um, <laughs> for those of you who bleed red, white, and blue each and every month. Um, I don't know why I even went there. I don't know. Um, why are you looking at me? I don't know. You know, there was. There no, was, that is interesting, though, that. Here you are using a feminine product, and uh-huh. women so-called have PMS. Am I the only one noticing that's a lot of old white men just throwing hissy fits all the time? Yeah, I mean, I point. know I have my mental fits. I probably have my monthly, and I go crazy. But these are the people who are, like, screaming at women that Hillary's going to have yeah, a exactly. monthly and go crazy. It's like and they're, Hillary's seeming like the calmest, sadest person I've seen in a long time. Well, I could have gone this way, which would have been far less sexist, and said, uh, this hour brought to you by Freedom Adult Diapers. There is actually a Freedom <laughs> Adult Diapers. Uh, when the struggle against tyranny just won't wait for number one or number two. <laughs> there you go. Uh, does cannabis really lower your IQ? I didn't really understand this article, so we'll move on. Uh, no. U.S. stock markets uh, take a major fall. Um, t- uh, take a major fall as Dow reaches the lowest level since August. And so um, do people's 401ks. Yes. Um, uh, losses uh, followed worldwide declines uh, due to concerns about health of the Chinese economy and fall- falling oil prices uh, and uh, extend U.S. markets' worst ever start of the year. Um, 
does is is the stock market an abstract of our economy, or is it is it is it driving is it driving a part of the economy? Is it is it driving an economy that that doesn't reflect or isn't reflective of average working working people? And, and the reason the reason I'll bring that up is is um, in no small part the the collapse on Friday, which saw I think a five hundred and thirty. 34 um, point dive in the Dow was driven <clears throat> largely by fears of collapsing oil prices, which which closed under thirty dollars mm-hmm. a barrel for the first time since two thousand and three. Um, investors investors did not like low uh, low oil prices. They're most comfortable with oil prices at around f- um, forty five or fifty dollars per barrel, which brings which brings the cost up close to the four dollar mark, which is really detrimental to the economy. It drives inflation on food. It drives inflation on on uh, on goods and services that are important to working class people. Whereas at two dollars a gallon of gas, um, a lot of working class people who have to commute and, and get around are, are uh, almost want to throw a parade. So, so is is do you do you care about a collapse in in the Dow? This, I think, the Dow no longer has anything to do with the middle class or uh-huh. the, uh, the lower. Uh, it, it's the one percent driven. It's all one percent driven. And, and by by the way, the the amount of money from all of the four hundred one ks in this country that are invested only accounts for a small amount of money. It's like it's like eight or eight or nine yeah. percent of of the total market value. But it's usually it's usually that which is most volatile, and it's usually that which is affected first beyond anything else. It's almost it's almost like it's it's the grease for um, for the financial wheels, and it's the sacrificial lamb um, over the fortunes of a lot of people. Thomas. Oh, goodness. oh, oh, I, um, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no! I I agree. I've I've tried to follow the stock market. I've tried to pay attention. What I know most about it is the Michael Douglas greed is good. And to to be honest, the stocks going up and down, it has never really affected me. I do have a 401k, but I know that 401k is not going to save me. Yeah. What the 401k is, is I save it up so the next time I get laid off, oh, it's happened more than once in my life? <laughs> next time I get laid off, I can cash it out and kind of relax for a couple months. Yeah. And as – um. Yeah. What's, what I'm actually planning now is next time I get laid off is I'm going to empty out my 401k and I'm going to go to Guatemala and learn Spanish. I'm planning ahead. It's It really doesn't affect me. I don't think my 401k is going to bottom out. Um, you I go know, to Ogden and 31st in Chicago. <laughs> Ogden and 31st? Why don't you go to, why don't you go to Pilsen? <laughs> but it's, 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 it's better to travel. It is, it is better to travel. It is better to travel. Guatemala is very pretty. Yes, uh, and, and and just to um, j- also also driving this whole this whole fiasco, Janet Yellen and Fed left with a face full of egg after interest rate blunder um, because they they rose interest rates, which which was supposed to spur the the housing market and the lending rate um, and help corporations um, be able to do business, uh, but instead it, it it has really been a drag on. Um, on the economy, and it looks like they might they might be in this cycle now where they they're going to continue at least through the end of the year raising interest rates up to uh, from nearly zero or zero where they were um, up to uh, a point and a quarter here by the end of the year. Janet be yelling at some people. Janet be yelling at some people. 
Thank you for that. By that's, the way, that's always been something that with the, the stock market crashing and the government saving the banks and the whole Hurricane Katrina and things like that, a big question I always have is, why do people pay homeowners insurance if a hurricane wipe out your house and your insurance ain't going to pay you diddly? Exactly. Why do I pay so much in car insurance that when my car has a problem, I then have to pay more money? Why do I pay in car insurance that if I get in an accident, the insurance is just going to total out my because car and then I have to go get another car and get more insurance and the government allows this? Because you don't go out to lunch with legislators like insurance companies do. Maybe I need to do other and stuff with they, a legislator. And they get to, he now, says wiping his lips. Exactly. Now corporations have learned that they go to the government for for their their business money because it's all about the free market, right? So they go to the they go to the government um, in order to enforce their bottom line. So we all have to have insurance, and I think insurance is is important. But we all have to have insurance because because the government mandates it. But that's really a bottom line. Um, that's really a bottom line protectorate for for cor- for for insurance companies. Yeah, insurance um, companies, they take your premiums. They don't actually pay them out. That's yeah. how they make their money. Uh-huh. And they they dispute. You have to fight them every step of the way, yeah. um, even medical health, insurance. Health insurance, yep, same thing. Health insurance. I actually even dealt with this in the um, late 80s with my youngest brother when he was born with birth defects that we had to jump through so many loops and holes yeah, till yeah. my youngest brother finally qualified as a kind of guinea pig. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in a medical book somewhere, and still at 15 months, he died. It's wow, um, wow. And that's the hell we went through. Yeah. And it's still one of those I, – I, I'd like to have more compassion, but it's one of those when, when I hear of these insurance companies having problems or these hospitals having problems, it's like, oh, good. Good for you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that this will obviously lead into another question of um, – since there is now being such a Christian backlash in our culture that for the past 15 years, and Darren, you've probably went through it longer, is that it was the small Christian movement during the W. Bush era became a huge Christian movement. And what do I tell my children? Who cares what you tell your brat? Keep them away from me. It's one of those things. And now it's like, I tell people are Christian, they hate me. I'm like, good. Good. Yeah. I'm going to be openly admit it's going to take a couple of decades you're before sh- I even think of letting a Christian in my you're house. You're not Christian. People who say they're Christian aren't truly Christian because if you were truly Christian, you'd be helping a lot more. Agreed. Yes. Agreed. Yes. I give more to the poor than the Christians do. <laughs> <laughs> Vandals, by the way, you're listening to uh, Helter Skelter with W.C. Turk uh, and, and, a, and a cast Helter of, of thousands. We're, uh, we're doing the news behind the news where we hit the headlines. Fast and hard, and a lot of the news that you fast might and hard, have, Thomas. Fast and fast hard. hard, amen. And, and boy, it, it, it'll, it'll be nice when this is a straight show again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, we're we're E2 hitting two W E two Bill E two. We're, we're hitting. I, 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 I'm fighting for my heterosexuality here. <laughs> We've got him cornered. Just it's as an opportunity. Just in case, just in case you're going to turn me. Um, <laughs> or, or as the deacon would say, <laughs> his Blackhawks <laughs> shirt, the 
sends us both away. We do not like the racial stereotypes of Native Americans. If it was Asian, I'd be right up in it. I, right up in it. And I drove I drove a Chevy pickup with a dog sitting in the back of the truck too, just to just to drive my manliness home to. Um, did you just say drive your manliness home in yes, front of I, Thomas? Yes, I did. God's I was... not his cock picked some bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. All right. Well, this one's for you guys then. Vandals key lesbian's car with anti-gay slur, but cops say it's not a hate crime. Imagine uh, what it would be like every time you got into your car having to see the despicable anti-gay slur, um, quote-unquote fag, or faggot carved into your car door. And to know, and yes, I would read the N-word if, if somebody had done that here. Um, so I'm not being a, I'm not being a hypocrite. Um, we uh, we drive injustice wherever uh, we, we call out injustice wherever we see it, um, and we're not going to shy away from it. And to know everyone can see it wherever you drive. This is the new reality for a lesbian couple who discovered that their new car had been vandalized last week in 2016. Jenna Doherty uh, told the station. Um, this is the third time someone has targeted her uh, her couple's new Subaru Forester, um, first with scratches, then with hate speech. It's hard to feel safe and comfortable being here when people are doing this to your stuff. She said, uh, making matters worse, the alleged vandalism occurred at uh, right outside the couple's apartment in Portland, in, oh, in, in Portland. the Portland suburb of Gresham, and police refuse to call it a hate crime. First of all, is this a hate crime? And have you guys um, ever been the victim of this sort of really sort of dark and anonymous, which becomes, I think, even more insidious and more dangerous? Well, so, I mean, somebody comes up to you and says, "says Listen, you're a uh, you're a so and so." They're 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 either taking it on faith or accepting the fact that you might just bust them right in the mouth. Um, or at the at the very least, call them out. But this this sort of this sort of this sort of thing, like like um, like violence against uh, against a black person, and why why blacks become so incensed and so bothered by that, it's because it's sort of like the power systems that exist are are using this as a way to intimidate a community and to maintain that power differential or that that power advantage am i uh am i am i catching that right we'll mm-hmm. go to darren first well i i've been the victim of openly not you know right yeah openly yeah but not not anything you know secretive like that where yeah. you know you wake up one morning and somebody has stuff scribbled all over your car but um but yeah it's a it's a hate crime you know uh you get stuff you know, you're you're Jewish and you get stuff swastikas uh, spray painted on your garage door. Yeah, that's a hate crime. Why why not this? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's nothing different, and it's Oregon though. And, you know, Oregon seems to be having a lot of those sort of problems lately. <laughs> and, and and I'll I'll I'll, I'll sort of um, bring that that question to a point for for you, Thomas. Um, when when somebody does something like that to you anonymously, does it feel do, does it have a greater impact as a threat, and does it feel like it's it's not just directed at you, but it's directed at a whole community who's already one, kind of under siege? One of the sad things that that you have to accept in life is people are petty; they have little brains. 
and they're going to lash out and hurt things. Mm-hmm. Um, not since I uh, graduated high school, and even when I transferred high schools my senior year, it, it definitely got a lot less. That A lot of the, the slurs thrown at me, a lot of the attacks thrown at me, yeah. um, they, they became less. Yeah. And a friend of mine back in the early 90s, he did an article for the newspaper as about a gay teenager. I was there when he was interviewed. I chose not to be photographed or included in the article because um, I, I guess I was concerned for my safety. And this is this is a big issue that these lesbians are concerned yeah. for their safety. Yeah. Um, and a few months after the article happened, he had a relocated to San Francisco. This was in Denver, Colorado. And someone had tracked out where he lived, found his car parked outside his family's house where he had left it, wow. and they had doused it in gasoline and set it on fire. Wow. They straight up did it because he, he was gay. And... These are horrible attacks, and this is one of the things that probably still sticks with me. Um, my, my real last name isn't Bottoms. My real last name is Swallows with a Z. No, oh. um, no one can pronounce it. But I, I do <laughs> one thing I've always done, and it, maybe I it's, have it's no idea what to do with that. Maybe it's because <laughs> of all the, the the hate crimes or the bullying or whatever. Or I also. I, uh, the guy I was engaged to when I was 18, mm-hmm. he stalked me for a good couple of years wow. that I I take extra precaution to make sure, like, people don't magically show up at my house. You don't right. show up at my house. So I, I do take those precautions. Now, I don't know if that's because me as a gay man, I'm afraid mm-hmm. or not. But it is one of the things that I think I'm lucky. And this might – you fall into the gray area, Darren, is that myself, I'm six foot one. You've met um, my my co who will be my co host Evan, Evan, who's six mm-hmm. foot four and built like a linebacker. Yes, he's he got a he's a big, big shoulders. Yeah. He's a and, big gay guy, yeah. And it's one of those things that people may want to talk bad to us, but you run the risk of me going back at you. And I've had, I guess, a couple encounters on the train where someone thought they could talk bad and was like, "Oh, excuse me," and thought that I could not stand up quickly enough <laughs> or follow them to the door. It's like, "Yeah, you better run." I gotta. I, I, I have to say. <laughs> I have to say this that the, um, the 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 society that that I that I want to live in is one in which people can be exactly who they are <laughs> and and don't have fear. I I, I, I love. The fact that I that I live in in a, in a community, at least in part, I li- we live close. Uh, the wife and I live close to uh, to Andersonville, but we used to live in um, uh, we used to live near Boys Town, uh-huh. and you know. So did I. <laughs> but I remember when I first came to the city that you, you would rarely, if ever, except maybe on Gay Pride Day um, or immediately adjacent to to bars in 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 Boys Town uh, on a Friday or Saturday night, but. You might you might see two men holding hands. Or you might see two women holding hands, but the reality was that even throughout much of the city, thank you, Marty. Um, even throughout much of the city, you just wouldn't see that, and and now now you see that more and more, and that and that for me that that translates into into a community of people that feel safe about who who they are and. Mm-hmm. Who they choose to love and and who they want to love, um, rather than having those things. Go ahead, Tom. And and that is an issue that definitely, as a a gay man, you you do run into that. 
um, again, back in Colorado, Denver, I remember there was a um, gay men's group that there was a there were a couple like just flamboyant. Oh, girl, queen, queen, queen. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's fine. But I remember I would bump into one of them. He took the same bus. Mm-hmm. And when he would get on the bus and his ride on the bus, like his personality was completely different. Yeah. And it is a little bit of this is, you know, obviously if you dance at the club, you ain't going to do that at your job. Right, right. But it becomes less of who you are or what yeah. you get involved with or can you be that person. Yeah. And when I was in Kansas City, it was a much of the the gay community was in the gay bars. So we felt safe in the gay bars. Yes. I was one of the few that I would until it was raided by police. Yeah. <laughs> and I would I would step out a little bit. I remember on some really questionable date, the guy was an alcoholic and I should not have played keep up. But we ended up in some straight jazz club and we ended up making out there at the bar. No one, if anyone noticed, no one said anything. There was an older gentleman who seemed to have noticed, but he came over to talk to us. And then at some point, he, like, tried to follow me to the bathroom. And I'm like, you kind of need to leave me alone. (laughs) And and that's it. But here in Chicago, and I feel, and that's what I, I guess that's why I like Chicago, why I want to stay in Chicago, is that when I moved to Chicago, I could be a gay man, yeah. and I didn't have to be a gay man in the gay bars. Right. I was a gay man wherever I you went were who to, you, you were who which you yeah. I, I don't think I'm a predatory gay drooling after the young <laughs> stuff. Oh, please, baby. It's it's more of the I can just be myself yeah. and go out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it does run into some internal fears that I, I haven't really ever been out at any of my jobs. A few coworkers know I'm gay, but I don't talk about my partner. I don't talk about a boyfriend. I don't talk about my history. And that falls into the line of, is it because this is a work environment yeah. and I don't like sharing myself yeah. at work? Or is it an issue that well, just I'm like I would, scared I would, to share I, myself. I would never go to the office. Hey, I nailed the wife last night. How, how are you guys doing? Exactly. You know, it's just it's just not it's not not a not a reality. And, and I can tell you, twenty um, going on twenty two years of marriage, um, I have I have never um, any any idea or knowing. Uh, we've got friends now who who are gay who are married now. Um, Andy Thayer got married last year. Um, it doesn't affect my marriage at all. Um, mm-hmm. The only the only way the only way that it that it would I would think is if I cared more about what was going on in Andy's living room or bedroom yeah. uh, than I did did in my own. And and that is a big I have a issue. hard enough time it's... just just trying not to be a, an, an idiot in my own relationship, let alone get in the middle of somebody else's. I've I've had to work that into some of my material where. I do come out as gay to the audience, and I openly state that if if you're a guy, I don't want you. Yeah. I got a man at home. And ladies, if I can take your man, he may not be worth having. Right. Yeah. And that's straight up. And then I lead into my joke about going with a married guy, because if you can't have a happy home, wreck, wreck one. <laughs> it's... Hey, I, got, I got one more that I wanted to get you. Okay. I, had, I had a lot of stories, um, but I, I wanted to spend a lot of time with the uh, with the folks from Muse of Fire. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to throw this one out. Widow of American killed in Jordan attack sues Twitter over growth of ISIS. Tamara Fields, whose husband Lloyd died in November um, 
in a, in a November 20, uh, 2015 attack, accused Twitter of letting Islamic State use its network to spread pop- propaganda. The widow of an American killed in a shooting attack at a Jordanian police center um, uh, has sued Twitter, blaming the social media company for making it easier for Islamic State to spread its message. Um, I wanted to ask your guys, you guys, a little bit about um, if if you think if you think that this is warranted, um, you know. There, uh, there, there is censorship everywhere. They've they've posted things on YouTube, but then YouTube takes them down. But then YouTube, <laughs> YouTube is a private company, and um, you can still find some of those things on YouTube. They're more difficult now. Um, but but does does what what responsibility does Twitter have to monitor millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of users, uh, and and even have the capacity for doing that? Thomas, we'll start with you, and then we'll, we'll let Darren finish up. But we got to go fast on this one. All right. With Twitter, it I believe Twitter's an American company, and that yes, falls into freedom of speech. Uh-huh. And as with any kind of organization, it is ultimately up to the individual to decide, is this something I want? Is this something I don't want? Right. And is this something I want to let in my life, something I don't want to let in my life? And – it's horrible that obviously her son died. She believes this is connected. But in the big scheme of things, there's so much other stuff going on that it's just something of a horrible thing happening to somebody, and they're just kind of lashing out. They're looking yeah. for scapegoats. Darren, you got 30 seconds. Wrap it up, man. There's too, there's too many variables. Uh, there's too many ways of uh, ISIS and ISIL to uh, get – get the attention that they get and so yeah you really can't you can't really single out twitter it's it's and twitter youtube facebook you name it they they are there it's it's hard and, and twitter has proven to be good that twitter brought in the whole ferguson missouri issue yeah that wasn't being reported anywhere else but twitter yeah I got it. Thank you guys thank you very much thomas uh, a plug on the new show coming up next week from five to seven Next week, 5 to 7, we have Bottoms of the Barrel with me, your host, Thomas Bottoms. We're going to explore music, social commentary, life in general. We're going to be trashy. Let's have some fun. Darren Marshall, News What News? News What News? We're going to have a a call in from Kerry Jr., which we haven't heard from in a long time. Uh, He's going to be calling in. And we're going to have a special uh, guest host, uh, apparently. Killer, yes. Yes. Yes, we will. <laughs> um, I want to thank all the folks from uh, from uh, Muse of Fire, uh, a great new play running February 13th to March 13th uh, at the Red Twist Theater in Rogers Park at 1044 West Bryn Mawr. Go to Brown Paper Tickets and check that out. In the meantime, I want to thank everybody else. Uh, you guys were awesome, man. Thank you so much. Flabby Hoffman's Radio, radio Extravaganza coming up, uh, up next, followed by an all-new Radio Panapuri uh, from 5 to 7 tonight. Uh, last time it's going to air on Saturdays here, uh, a repeat of yesterday's Radio D with Jack Hammond, uh, followed by Magic Radio Chicago. Thank you, guys. Peace.
well Twice in one song Up for 12 million workers And Elvira Arellano On four world Without borders And a better tomorrow